You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 206, Crimson Moonlight, hosted by Dan Terry. But I don't know, maybe you just do a part two until you get all the way in there. I'm not sure. <laughs> John Beatty. How you guys like that? It's good, right? <laughs> That's perfect. Just leave it like Blast that. that. Yeah, just. And Joseph Wren, because Morgan Rose doesn't need an excuse to be awesome. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you think Crimson Moonlight is a sign of the end of the world, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John. We're going to be talking about some uh, some bright red, maybe darker bright red. I don't know. Crimson. I guess there's a reason there's a word for it to describe that shade of red. Uh, moonlight, ladies and gentlemen. Some... Some crimson moonlight, some uh, so, some super dark red, evil sounding black metal about Jesus. What about holy unblack metal? Is did that term come because you know if you found God, then you've you've got the light, and so it would take you out of the darkness? Is that where it, that's the only thing I could come up with as to why that is a phrase that exists? It's more okay. So <laughs> history lesson time. Long ago, there was a there was a band called Mortification. And they had a drummer named Jason Sherlock, who was and still is an incredible drummer. Jason Sherlock decided that there was just too much of that evil Satan stuff going on in uh, in black metal and wanted to make a record in that same style. But he's like, well, I can't call it black metal because black metal is like, you know, super evil and satanic. And my stuff's not, man. Uh, so it's got to be different. So uh, he decided to call the album Helig Uzfart, which translates to holy unblack metal. Uh, is it a stupid term? Um, I don't think it's the best. Um, I also think that there are certain connotations to using the word unblack a little too freely. Um, that That's just a little much for me. But uh, yeah, calling it unblack metal to me, I don't really enjoy. But there are a lot of people out there that consider it to be a oxymoron to use the term Christian black metal. In their mind, it's like calling it Christian satanic black metal. So I don't know, a little rough. Uh, But Crimson Moonlight is one of the bands that has fallen under more of the terminology of of a Christian black metal band. That's how they describe themselves. So that's kind of what I'm what I'm going with as far as far as this band goes. You know, when you listen to black metal and it's clear that the band had access to a decent guitarist and no one that could actually play the drums. This is what you get. This reminds me of 1999, earlier days of the internet when you download these Christian black metal records from insert name of website and they all sounded the same. Cassette tape quality with drum machine. And unfortunately, I have no idea when Crimson Moonlight actually got a drummer, but some of this stuff they very clearly did not. Uh, I would say, I mean, their demo album, Glorification of the Master of Light, it sounds like a real drummer to me. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I mean, these guys have outrageously good production value for the type of music that they play, and like they've definitely recorded in some fantastic studios. So, I mean, I don't don't really think that they're even in the same league as a lot of those bands uh, that you described. Well, I did spend a lot of time this week listening to songs from the archives just to familiarize myself with the early part of the discography, which is exactly what that is. It's the early part of the discography. We're not going to go into it any more than that. But if you want Gravity Blasts, they're here. Crimson Moonlight's a really interesting example of a band that kind of started off with humble beginnings 
um, you know, recording recording black metal in kind of the raw format. Uh, but then, I mean, pretty much as soon as they as soon as they got into a studio, they were putting out records that sounded every bit as good as a lot of the mainstream stuff out there, like your Demi Borgir, Cradle of Filth. Like they stood toe to toe with those bands. Uh, if not outright beating them in the overall brutality department. And I think that's really interesting considering they've been mostly independent throughout their career. And they've been, you know, very, um, they've been very influential very on that, on that Christian black metal scene, uh, as small of one as there is. There's only like one other band I can think of that even comes close to Crimson Moonlight as far as talent goes, and that would be a band called Antester. But they're like one of the very first to play that style. Uh, out of Norway, uh, Crimson Moonlight being from Sweden. So they've got the legitimacy of being a Scandinavian uh, metal band. And um, yeah, I think I, I think Crimson Moonlight is, is, is one of the best examples of how to do this style the right way, despite what some people would consider to be the oxymoronic nature of this kind of music. Well, before Dan gets free reign to talk about oxymorons, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Twitch.tv forward slash DiscussMetalDan for all of your live stream and gaming needs. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Well, we do love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. Leave us a review if you think we deserve one. And uh, keep sharing the episodes, guys. Uh, We've recently started posting some content over on YouTube. Uh, somewhat controversially and um <laughs> you know it was just uh just a good way to jump onto youtube so uh you know some of our yeah, lives we didn't get 86 yeah well you know not everybody can be lucky enough to be 86 but uh you know we we've been we've been adding a lot of content there uh, as quickly as we can we have like a revisited episode uh that will be on there and this is something really cool we're doing for early access so we're using youtube now as a tool to where if you're a patreon subscriber and you want to get early access to any of the podcasts that we record live, uh, you will get that instant access. We'll send you a link to a uh, secret YouTube video, and uh, you can not only listen to it early, but you can watch it uh, take place in real time. That's raw, that's uncut, and then uh, that video won't be available to anybody else until after the actual episode goes live. So uh, that'll be a really, really fun early access. You can sometimes end up getting stuff two, three weeks at a t- uh, ahead of time, which is pretty neat. Over on Twitter, we got a tweet from Hugo Fernandez saying, guys, I need to know your opinions on the new Napalm Death record. Uh, We reviewed the new Napalm Death record right as soon as it came out on our Patreon, uh, which is kind of a kind of a shitty answer, but (laughs) it is it it is what it is. Uh, We did talk about the record and uh, our opinions on it. Uh, I will tell you that I do think that there's a lot more to it that I have to absorb than maybe what you got in that review. Uh, I'm still listening to it, not 100% sure if I get it, so uh, hopefully one day I will get it, or I won't, and then I'll just be dumb, and, and everybody will be like, wow, I can't believe you didn't get that, it's plain as day. Uh, Kyle Stratton says, as the year closes, I want to make a shout out to Discuss Metal. Your guys' podcasts have been the biggest thing getting me through this year. It feels like I'm actually having conversations with friends about music I love. Keep it up, y'all. Love you. Uh, thanks so much, Kyle. I, I appreciate it, and thank you for the uh, for the birthday wish. 
uh, over on Facebook. Uh, that was super cool to see, so I appreciate it. Uh, Gaseous Clay jumps in saying, I've been mentioned in two episodes of At Discuss Metal. Well, you have been mentioned in three uh, at this point, so <laughs> thank you very much what, for what that. They, is that a, a turkey in bowling when you get three strikes? Yeah, something like that. that what he doesn't understand now is he's out. <laughs> what I don't understand is the out. beer frame. How does that work? Like, is that when you're on a roll and then you fail to hit a strike? Something like that. It's not ideal. Because that was always Dan's strategy was just miss after Joe does good, and then we get a new pitcher of beer. Ah, something like that. I think that's how a beer frame works. Totally. Uh, James Ghost, post to post. Is that right? Post to post. (laughs) Says at Discuss Metal, did you guys ever do a Cole esque episode? No. No, we have not. Uh, We want to. Uh, might happen at some point this year. We're gonna. Over on YouTube, in reference to our episode uh, Living Sacrifice Revisited, episode 204. Hey, I was on that. Clank Zion, or Zion, I think it's Zion. My friend, former Portland, Maine taxi driver Chris Leach, is a volunteer DJ for the USM Portland, Maine, uh, who has a late night radio show where he picks one metal slash hard rock band or artist and plays their full catalog from getting uh, to latest or end, along with the history and info. At Per my request, he did Living Sacrifice. That's, that's really super cool. cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it, it makes me wonder, though, like, is he ever going to pick, like, Napalm Death or Cannibal Corpse? Because, like, how could you play that band's entire catalog in a, in, in a single uh, late-night show? But I don't know, maybe you just do a part two until you get until you get all the way in there. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Reminds me of calling up the radio station and asking Dan to play Skizik's Dilemma, and he would never do it. Uh, I did one time uh, whenever I was on the radio. I did play. Uh, I did play a twenty-minute song because I had to poop, and uh, and I knew that was going to give me enough time. So yeah, I threw a, I threw a twenty-minute uh, doom metal song. It was Paramecium's "The Unnatural Conception," uh, and then I went in the bathroom and had my own unnatural, uh, unnatural. Well, not uh, not conception, uh, birth. I guess unnatural birth. But uh, yeah, I so don't know if I can uh, leave this in the show. <laughs> that's a little much. That's a little much for me. So you know. A little bit about me that you didn't know. Uh, in reference to episode 203, Skillet, uh, WYL2K says, Morbid Angel, por favor. We are working on it. It's coming. That's all I can say. I it is guarantee coming. it. 2021 is the year. It's the year of Morbid Angel, even if even if it's not. <laughs> we got an email from Christopher Sherling. He says, hi and greetings from Sweden. While I've been listening now for a while your podcast uh, to your podcast, and I'm very thankful to be able to listen to your discussions, I have a few ideas concerning bands that would be cool uh, if you guys would check them out. Benighted, one of the best and most, in my opinion, new compared to the classic death metal bands. Asylum Cave is a great band, insanely intense but catchy, uh, and at the same time, grind death metal bands. Sureption, uh, a Swedish technical death ba- metal band that is really underrated. Misery Index. I, lo- I love Misery Index. I love their first album, Retaliate, but Eris to Thievery is also good. And Crimson Moonlight, a friend of mine and guys from the same part of Sweden, has a diverse discography worth discussing. Well, you were in luck, my friend, because tonight we are, in fact, talking about Crimson Moonlight. You're welcome. So, uh, yep, I definitely appreciate the email. And, uh, yeah, definitely uh, going to write all those bands down on the long list. I'm going to take my best shot at this name because I know Dan doesn't want to. Anath Krishnan says, Hello, my name is Anath, and I write you from India. Hello, Dan. Hello, Joe. Contrary to norm, contrary to norm, I'm going to lead off with a TLDR because I intend to be rather verbose. Not only was he verbose, 
He was verbose for multiple people. This is like five paragraphs long. TLDR, this is a wholehearted five-star review. This is the most heartfelt thanks for doing whatever it is you guys are doing. Here's hoping that it goes on forever. Did you hear that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, we'll see about that. I mean, I can't really do a whole lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've been meaning to write to you guys for the last few weeks now. Each time I get down to it, I just end up listening to another show of yours, and the rabbit hole of research and listening detracts me for what I set out to do. So this is long overdue. Challenge, a discography discussion episode featuring Frank Zappa. I'm down. I can't say that's ever going to happen. It's going but, uh, to happen. I'll wait until you're sick and do it, but it's going to happen. <laughs> that's fine. That's the great thing about recorded media is I can be sick and, you know, just do it at a different time. It's a conversation for another night because tonight we get to talk about Crimson Moonlight. So, Dan, tell me about Crimson Moonlight. Glad you asked me that, Joe. Crimson Moonlight is a Swedish unblack metal band. Uh, and, you know, from, from Sweden, uh, they formed in the summer of 1997, uh, and they were originally just wanting to put out a primitive, like old school black metal raw demo. Uh, and they actually, uh, they actually did do that. So this is one of those weird situations where I don't really like talking about demos on the show, like really at all. But, uh, these guys put out a demo album. It's really hard. So their first release is from 1997 and it's called glorification of the master of light and um it's about 20 minutes long which definitely lands it in demo ep territory uh however it's got 10 tracks so like is it an album is it not an album uh it's hard to tell so uh, we decided to err on the side of caution so that we didn't do this episode somebody's like well you didn't talk about glorification of the master of light i'm like i didn't even want to say that sentence out loud it's just it's weird and awkward and long and I, i don't know about it um but uh, this was kind of par for the course for this type of uh, for this type of band. Uh, this is this, this has got to be the album that Joe's talking about as far as uh, it sounding very, very, very raw, very primitive, uh, which is kind of the point for a lot of these bands. It's got this kind of old school like keyboardy. We're being very, very atmospheric, but it also sounds like we're recording in a tin can that's 27 feet away. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's definitely hard on the ears. This is one that I that I did not crank. I had to listen to uh, at half volume. Uh, uh, yeah, the, after I popped half a volume. Uh, no, but like <laughs> I had to listen to it at like half 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 loudness because it just it was a little too much. It really got into my earwax and jiggled around a little too much. But uh, I really, really, really thought that this was uh, not very good. <laughs> if, if if I have anything else to say, really, I mean that. It's it's uh, there's there's keyboards. They don't sound really great. The guitars don't really sound great. Uh, and in me saying that, I don't really think it's very good. Uh, has more to do with the actual like material and playing. I don't feel like there's a lot of substance here. Uh, it's almost like they spent way too much time trying to make this sound the way it does intentionally. Because like I've recorded demo songs before uh, and like not really tried that hard or put that much thought into it. I think at one point Joe and I put a four track recorder with an onboard mic on the floor in the middle of the band playing and it sounded better than this. So uh, they, they definitely had to try. Now granted, we did that in like 2005. This is 1997, so it's a slightly different setup. But but yeah, Glorification of the Master of Light uh, probably you know got them cult points or whatever with all the other Christian black metal fans out there, both of them. Uh, and I think that like, I think this is a really, really, really strange, very strange uh, first release. 
uh, from this band. What did you think about it, John? You know, it, it's funny. Um, some of your, I don't want to say trepidations about whether to include it or not, but I think I had sent you a message and I was like, are we doing this? Like, this sounds like a demo, not, but it's, it's titled like an album and it has enough tracks to be an album. So are we doing this? And you were like, wait, you found it? And I was like, yeah, it's on YouTube, like most of their shit. <laughs> and yeah. you were like, yeah, I guess we're doing it. So, you know, then I hit play and went on this sonic journey. And I I don't know that I have heard, like you kind of said, uh, that one mic in the middle of a room capturing, quote unquote, everybody sound of a demo in quite a long time. And it took me back to doing essentially the same thing with some of my friends back in the day. Uh, granted, I don't know why we all in like 20, 20, 2005 or whatever, were all <laughs> still doing that when we had better technology available, but it is what it is. Uh, probably there was a deal on Radio Shack for like brooms and single mics in a 50 foot coil. Um, it gets the job it done. It does. But, you know, I think what's really surprised me, honestly, about this is that even in its most raw form, at times you could really imagine how great this music could be if it had some money in production behind it. And I think that's kind of the, the beauty at times that we forget about what demo records can be and why we end up falling in love with a band when you find something like this. Um, you know, for me, you know, Dan kind of mentioned the, the samples and the keys and so forth. I kind of loved, you know, it was sparse, almost maybe they couldn't figure out how to necessarily do that, which actually it was funny to me because I was trying to figure out how the fuck did they incorporate those in uh, into their recording based on the fact of how raw it sounds that it doesn't seem like anyone really like, oh, we're tracking guitars to see we're tracking drums. It's like, no, we're tracking them all at the same time. So it's like, OK, like the only thing I could think of is maybe the vocalist was using the keys or something and or at least had it hooked up to his PA. So you're hearing it through that same thing. But it was uh, it was kind of interesting to hear that. And I kind of laughed trying to think about how how it was used but boy holy shit when those keys come in do they come in hot <laughs> they do i'm thinking um, it was a mic'd guitar amp if that's i had what, to yeah guess. that's what i'm yeah. thinking it's either like i said in through the pa somehow or something but yeah i i kind of laughed when i was trying to figure out how they did it and they probably were so stoked that they could do it <laughs> um but as a whole this just feels like a fun nostalgia trip for a lot of reasons because like i said you know at times, you know, like the hissing on it where you could sit, you could tell someone probably ran after they were done playing and hit stop and then hit record again to start the new song. And it just kind of takes me back, like I said, to playing, you know, with my friends and uh, making noise and, you know, being excited for what you're doing that you then end up kind of, um, you know, being proud to show that you got something to somebody, your friends or whomever. Um, this feels like maybe something that would have been pretty heavy in, in maybe the latter stages of like the tape trading scene. Um, you know, and I and I kind of really dug the outro too that was on this demo. Um, you know, kind of moving forward, you know, was one of those where, because, you know, as I said, kind of on the living sacrifice uh, and pretty much a lot of the stuff moving forward uh, for the, at least the next month or so, most of this stuff I have never heard anything of. So my takes are literally kind of in the moment excuse me, as I'm writing them down and listening to these records for the first time. So you're getting my most raw in the moment take on these things, not something where I'm trying to look back on this, where I have all of, you know, the rest of the records to kind of reflect on it. I want everyone to kind of get as fair of a shake on these as I can, because I think that's going to be the only genuine thing I can do since I don't have any history with any of these bands like Dan or Joe May or any of you listening, possibly. 
This one sounds like a demo to me. It sounds like the best they could do with a mixer or a PA head, and they just went for it. As a musician and an audio engineer, that to me is very appealing because it reminds me of how easy it is to make music with your friends. It also reminds me how difficult it is to make records. When did the black metal stereotype start of turn it up, make it sound either good or bad, depending on your opinion, and then just don't mix it? When did that start? I believe that was with Burzum, Joe. That was uh, that was the first time where they were like, yeah, it doesn't have to sound good. Like, literally just one mic, drummer's going to go do his thing in the background, and I'm just going to play uh, out of this, like, 1970s Blue Oyster Cult amp, and I'm just going <laughs> to hit I'm gonna hit the distortion button. Like, no pedals. A PV. It's a PV amp that everyone had back in the day. Just That's a PV, right. yeah. Just turn it up. Not a big deal. Uh, yeah, they did it on purpose, uh, I think. But at some point, they must have had a change of heart because when this band actually debuts uh, as, as a real band, uh, all of that whole like, oh, it sounds bad, it's hissy, it sounds like this or that or this or that, completely out the window. That's why I don't think they did it intentionally. I think it was what they had. It's entirely possible. I would just like to. T- I'd just like to tell myself in the six years uh, between uh, glorification and the Covenant progress that this band like just they all got full-time jobs and just saved 100 percent of their paychecks for studio time 2003 so when these guys hit with the covenant progress it's like a totally different deal this is one of the most well-produced black metal albums i've ever heard uh especially for 2003 um everything is everything is tracked it's all stuff that you might take take for granted but i don't remember in 2003 black metal records sounding like this and if they did uh, they weren't from a Christian band, like an independent Christian black metal band from Sweden. Like, no way. Uh, this So this was a huge deal. Um, this is as, about as close to perfect as I, I ever felt that the band got, like literally right out the gate. Uh, they've got everything that they had on the Glorification album, but it's all done like with a ferocity uh, that really didn't even exist on there. Uh, that record was all like mid-pace. This is just straight blast from beginning to end. Uh, and it can almost be a little bit too much in places, um, but the way they blend the keyboards and the just the incredible drumming, it's all fairly complicated and it's very uh, technical for being black metal. I think the thing is, is you know, you're a few songs into this record when you start listening to it, and I feel like you can tell that these guys are just getting better and better at writing songs and taking the time it needs to actually create and structure the songs as a song. Um, and I sometimes feel like for me, as someone that's not necessarily into this genre of music uh, or ever has been, that's one, been one of my biggest critiques is I feel like it's basically parts that are thrown together or like I want that riff and I want this part. Fuck it. Mash it together somehow. And then we get to the next thing. And Throw some keyboards in between it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and it's a thing where this this breathes and feels like a band who took their time to think everything through. There's nothing where it isn't needed or didn't want to be. Um, to me, it is st- <laughs> it is still a bit amusing uh, to listen to this and hear vocals like this and be like, Christian message. Um, I did make a joke. I'd probably be mad too if uh, I had, you know, if I had to be raised in some kind of a religion uh, with all the things that are going on, but uh, I'm not going to get into that. Um, I did, there's... <sighs> Shit, what is that song? Uh, Painting painting in Dark? Um, there's a flute noise or something. Holy shit, was that fucking annoying. 
I don't know what it is. I just it kept making and that's all I could come up with that I thought it sounded like. Does anyone else I, find I that believe it, I believe it was a flute actually. Okay. Um, I mean I didn't think it was too too bad. Um, because that song like is just again a blaster. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I believe it actually is a flute. It's weird too that they're this aggressive in the sense that like with this level of aggression. It almost feels a little... I get almost more of a death metal vibe off of it than I get a right. black metal vibe. Yeah. Uh, just because it's so beefy and black metal historically is pretty vegetarian as far as guitar beef goes. Yeah. Um, it's all about high end and, and, and just sounding as shrill as possible. And the only thing shrill about this is the vocals. Um, well, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it, it's kind of funny because like, there's a song like uh, Thorn in My Heart, like... It just sounds so different from anything else that at this point the band has really done. And that like halftime riff to kind of end the song out and then kind of, you know, it, it was fading out. And I was like, yo, this song's dope as fuck. This like this halftime you feel riff and it's kind of slowly fading the song out. I almost thought they were going to like start uh, what was going to be the covenant. I thought that riff was going to come back to start the next song. And I was fully on board for it. And then when it didn't happen, I was like. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you, though. Like, it, what what always stood out for me with that song is that I feel like it should have been The Covenant and then that song. Yeah. And it could, like, yep. like let's just let's just end the record out with just this this slower riff that eventually dissolves into nothing, you know, yeah. dissolves into quiet. It's it's one of the best ways to end a record. But then they're like, ah, no, we, we still got another <laughs> seven minute track. Yeah. Well, and that that's that's my last comment on this. This record specifically is I feel like either some of the songs needed to be shortened or they just needed to like take one full song off because it just it it drags and I can't quite figure out exactly what it is about it. It just feels a little too long. But like there's nothing that I'm like, oh, that that song or this part or whatever needs to go. And for me, uh, even saying that, I still feel like, you know, granted, we're, we're not talking about some of the other material they have, but as of this era of the band at this point, this is one where I'm like, if this is kind of what the band's going to sound like moving forward, you know, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, you know, this is head and shoulders above uh, the demo, obviously, for a multitude of reasons. So here's the thing about black metal, John. There are multiple eras and styles that tried to claim the true name of black metal. There's sounds like shit, play as fast as possible, buy the cassette tape, only listen to the cassette tape. Then there's what Crimson Moonlight is doing on this record. They're making it sound good. They're also dragging the songs out longer than you think they should. And you wouldn't notice if they made different decisions with the drums, but because the drums tend to be constant double bass and gravity blast it feels like a run-on sentence and eight minutes later get to the point guys <laughs> well, i mean i, I don't like think dan that said. the songs are that long but, but yeah. no i was just gonna say i think it's exactly like dan said you have what would seem like the perfect closer then it's not yeah and then you know th there is a little bit of exhaustion that kicks in i would say probably seven or eight tracks in and then you look down at your phone or whatever it is you're listening to this on and you're like Oh, I still got one more. Oh, and it's it's seven minutes. Uh, if I didn't have to listen, if I didn't have to listen to it for the show, uh, I would be like, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and just see what else what else we got going on <laughs> over here, over here today. So, yeah, I mean, it goes on a little bit long. Uh, the the songs are all filled with lyrics. I mean, you've got a solid two to three paragraphs, like uninterrupted paragraphs of lyrics, 
Uh, and they're all really good, actually. Like, for a Christian black metal band or an unblack band, they actually... They're not just, like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's, like, a lot of, like, stories and stuff from literature and stuff. Um, they're, they do have that, like, hopeful message or whatever. And I think they probably do say Jesus a couple times. But, like... Um, but it's not like it's not like some of the hardcore bands that we talk about on here that are just like, where let's wear our let's wear our uh, NBA jerseys for Jesus, you know? Like, it's not uh, it's not tough guy or anything like that. And I don't know, I, it really works for this band. And I really liked I liked this record a lot because it was the last Crimson Moonlight album where you're going to hear a lot of keyboards. But could you understand those lyrics? Yeah, I mean, I could. I don't really have a problem with it. Not not with not with Pilgrim. Pilgrim's actually pretty clear uh, vocally. I mean, he's growling him, but I mean, I wouldn't say. I'd say if you're a fan of something like Zayo, I don't think you'd have much trouble uh, following along with the lyrics. So, I mean, we might have to do the pen and paper test later. <laughs> uh, bring it on. Are we ready for Veil of Remembrance? I don't think anybody's ready for Veil of Remembrance. Uh, this record is so heavy. Two thousand and five. This is where I question if the fake drummer returns. Or at least they just decided to trigger everything and it sounds like that. I mean, they're clearly real drums. They're <laughs> very clearly not. And I've seen them very clearly played live. Your like, snare drum does not clearly sound like that on every single hit. Triggered to shit doesn't mean it sounds bad. Just I think detracts, it sounds really good. Just detracts a little bit from the overall product. Uh, I think it's really good. A lot more doses of death metal in this one. Uh, they're definitely a lot more uh, technical and even having a little bit more of a, I, I'd say even a little bit of a melodic death metal sound is creeping in there. Uh, the vocals keep it black metal. Some of the melodies, they've got like those very black metal melodies uh, in there. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, they just go for the throat on this record. And it's a, just a, overall a darker, more depressing release than the Covenant Progress was. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think uh, something that stood out right away is just the more usage of gutturals, like on a painful mind contradiction, uh, to kind of contrast some of those, like as Dan was saying on the last record, the more kind of higher pitched, uh, like death metal melodic stylings of more like the Cradle of Phil, some of the Demi Gear kind of style stuff. Um, it's weird. It, uh, I'm not sure if I'd like to hear more of them on on the records. I think the fact that they're kind of sparsely used works uh to make them kind of be that really special like it's more nuanced you definitely notice it and then it becomes that kind of cool like earworm where, you, where you're like oh that was kind of cool let me let me go back and check that out again uh makes you remember those things those songs so for me i kind of enjoyed that um cold grip of terror was interesting as it once again kind of sees the band adding more little nuances to the sound which i mean you know, that's the thing with a lot of these records and a lot of bands like this. I don't think they kind of do things like that. And it's it's honestly, as a music fan, like from production and uh, so forth, it's something that makes me want to keep listening to these and want to keep finding, you know, maybe more of these layers that these musicians are putting forth in their songs to make it more enjoyable and make it more, more of something that you aren't just going to go, yep, heard it, know where that's going, on to the next one. Um... I accidentally deleted my note just a second ago. All I have left of it is uh, the spoken word on. Uh, Dan will probably know exactly which song I'm talking about. Uh, okay, it's the spoken word that's uh, 
I think it's at the end of uh, Contemplations Along the Way with a woman talking. Yeah. Like, I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting. I was like, oh, again, another thing that I was not expecting. Um, and I also think it's funny, too. Um, so if I played that reverse part and illusion was true beauty backwards, will it read scriptures? Like, is that the way that satanic messages work uh, for this band? I mean, it's entirely possible. Uh, I think they've been <laughs> I think they've been relatively upfront with what their message is. Uh, no, no, you gotta overall, hide them in there, though. You gotta hide them in there. That's why they reverse it. Satan eats it. cheese whiz. That's the only message that matters. I mean, this record, I, this record's one of my favorite. I mean, I, I kind of like all of the Crimson Moonlight records uh, for different reasons, and this one I like just because it's so brutal and it's so in your face, and they really just they strip away a lot of the atmosphere here. The atmosphere is you're in an ice storm and you're just being like hacked to death with like, you know, sharp snowflakes. Let's copyright that sharp snowflakes. Uh, but yeah, so you're just you're just freezing to death on like some really cold steps, uh, I guess, is, is how this record feels. Um, highlight highlight of the album for me is the breakdown at the end of uh, Intimations of Everlasting Constancy. Say that 10 times fast. Um, all of the all of the songs on this record have like just really really long titles uh painful mind contradiction embraced by the beauty of cold my grief my remembrance the cold grip of terror i mean it's just everything's got to be like a sentence you know uh the last one being reflections upon the distress and agony of faith <laughs> like man uh it's a lot but yeah that breakdown at the end of that first song is uh definitely probably in my top 10 breakdowns and i never thought i'd hear it coming from a black metal band they had a lot of fun too uh whenever they were on the tour cycle for this i saw them at cornerstone festival uh, playing a lot of the material on this record and uh, Pilgrim their lead singer would get up there and he'd be all like what is the sound of death metal and everybody everybody would scream you know and he's like what is the sound of black metal and everybody ah! you know like um, it seems really dumb like saying it right now and it probably was dumb looking at it but I don't know it was fun we were all really into it uh, dude had d these guys had so much uh, so much face paint and effects and, 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 and like war paint at one point, Crim uh, Pilgrim was wearing a war mask. Like, I mean, it was just, there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. Was this the uh, traditional white and black, black metal face paint? No, what this is, was more... Is, I was going to say, what is the opposite of corpse paint? <laughs> <laughs> Being clean shaven, uh, which yes. none of these guys were. Which With none of these guys were. pompadour. <laughs> right. And then you're Zeo. Uh, but I think that... Uh, I think with this record, or with, with, with that live show in particular, playing the songs off this record, they definitely kind of came across a little bit more as a death metal band, uh, but would only, only bring out kind of the more black metal theatrics when they were playing older material. Which, I mean, I think they had like a 40-minute cornerstone set, so like, they got like maybe five songs in, <laughs> maybe six. Uh, but I remember it being a really enjoyable show. Uh, we were there, uh, me and my buddy Mike were there, and hel had actually helped them set up uh, at the sanctuary tent uh, and all that stuff. It was really funny just watching all these guys that were like, did not look like they were from middle America, you know, walking around uh, in a cornfield in Bushnell, Illinois. And, uh, you know, this dude walks up to me uh, in, a, in a Zayo shirt. And I was like, hey, nice shirt, you know. And uh, he was like, Where, where's the stage? And I was like, oh, you mean those two pieces of wood over there? That's the stage. <laughs> <laughs> It was a whole thing. It's gospel. So yeah, that was everything that was super he just exciting. said happened. <laughs> oh yeah, it was super exciting. Uh, and then, like, I think about two hours later in a mosh pit, I got horribly injured and had to come home. 
and then drive back up uh, two days later to do the end of Destiny set at Cornerstone. So yeah, that was all. That was all very real and very raw, and definitely happened. So yeah, this album is intense. It's the previous album taken a little bit further. They're playing faster. They're playing cleaner. Yeah, the drums are a little clicky, but if you're listening to black metal, you expect that. So, I mean, I guess there's really nothing else except to plunge ourselves right into Divine Darkness. 2016. God, this record came out four years ago. It's the Crimson It's the Crimson Moonlight record that I've spent the least amount of time with. And uh, what's it's funny about it is I always remember it coming out last year. It doesn't matter what year it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That new Crimson Moonlight, it came out last year. Still need to give that a chance. Uh, this one, I mean, it, I hate to say it, as much progression as this band has made, they kind of came out of the gate, like, really, really, uh, really, really good anyway. It, like, as long as the first record you heard was The Covenant Progress, um, they came, they, you know, they debuted very well. Uh, Divine Darkness is kind of more in the vein of Veil of, Veil of Remembrance. Uh, it definitely kind of maintains that more brutal sound. Uh, the drums actually don't sound like they do on that, on uh, Veil of Remembrance, though. They're a little bit more in the background. But I mean, all the real real differences between those albums that I can really point out uh, is just that the production quality is different. Uh, there, there were some different different decisions made in the mixing. If Veil of Remembrance is the perfect sound of a black metal release, then this is what you're going to stick with. I'm surprised it took 11 years, but I'm amazed that after 11 years, it still sounds like this. I think a lot of this material was probably uh, probably pre-written, probably right after Veil. Uh, it's got a little bit of that. It's got a little bit of that uh, atmosphere from Covenant Progress in there. Uh, but again, this is not like a super like generic keyboardy black metal type of album. Uh, and I think that's what I like about Crimson Moonlight is that they are they're very very consistent and they always try to make a sound that isn't what you're going to get out of listening to whatever the newest Dimmu album is. You know, they're not they're not all about like gothic atmosphere like a lot of these more uh, more clean black metal bands. Uh, they're definitely more like you get more of a feeling of being like in the woods with this band, you know, um, a little bit more natural, a little bit more earthy. Um, and I just I find that to be very, very, very enjoyable. Uh, and I think that this record, yeah, I can't believe it took 11 years. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of can believe that because these guys apparently just, again, 100% 100 uh, of their paychecks, studio time. I feel like for me as a whole, it's incredible to see this much growth from a band 20 years into the career as of when it technically started. The dynamics on this record, I don't, it's funny, you know, hearing Dan say what he just did about it, but I don't know if they were afraid to incorporate some of the elements that they had in their music earlier, uh, if it's the inexperience of songwriters or what, but songs like the title track with its spoken words, slow cadence, we haven't seen that yet, you know, and like we're all this way into the band's career and they're still doing kind of new things within what they do. Um, I'm going to really fuck up this name, so apologies, but voice to new Vos Grease. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say that earlier, but just decided not to. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I really like that cool technical baseline that's kind of going through it, and I really want to shout out their their bass player's tones on this album are really fucking something. Like if you have a good set of headphones or a good stereo system, pay attention to what he's doing because like there's a lot of cool little nuances going on with that dude's playing, and I think it's definitely out of 
not in the realm of typically what you hear the bass players doing in this style of music. A lot of times, I think they're kind of just more playing a straight rhythm, whereas there's kind of like a little bit of a lead kind of thing going on. Very, uh, I'm not necessarily saying it sounds like this, but very like what Cliff Burton used to do kind of in, in Metallica back in the day, where he would add little things if you were willing to pay attention and have a good stereo system or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think the thing that's interesting, too, is the band is kind of playing around a little bit more with tempo changes on this record. Uh, they're allowing some breathing room before the uh, before the, you know, the basically Danny DeVito and it's always sunny parts. So I started blasting. Right. Um, <laughs> I think it really adds more depth to these songs. And, you know, something. Yeah, something Dan. I set that joke up a long time ago, so don't give me a slow clap because I wrote that joke in. Um, Bravo. Dan has said, you know, with some other discographies that sometimes you listen to a band and it's just parts. This was the first album I really feel like had the interesting songs that made me go back and listen to this album more than just the initial time to get my notes down. And I understand, you know, whatever fucking happens with bands, some bands can't do these things full time, put out records when we want for a lot of things. And, you know, a kind of a note, I think I think there's only one of these records that's actually on a quote unquote label. And I think the rest of this was all done independently. So kudos to this fucking band for doing what they've been able to do for 20 some odd years while basically being an independent band and putting out something that sounds this good. I sadly wish it didn't take this long to get here. And it makes me wonder if we would have gotten there pretty quicker if they would have been on a more mainstream kind of level. But I'm also not mad because if it takes this long to get here and it because they have the time to work on these songs, it does make me wonder, what is the next one going to sound like? How much more of a progression will we see in the four, five, six years from the next one. Yeah, I mean, these guys are kind of one of the hidden gems of quote-unquote Christian metal. Even in 2021, I mean, I feel like some bands that are good still get some recognition, but I think for the most part, as far as the metal world at large views bands like this, um, it's just it's just not taken seriously, like at all. I um, agree. And it's, it's one of those frustrating things where like, yeah, but what if you have that begs the question, but what if one of these bands is legitimately good? <laughs> you know, um, it's not it's not impossible to think that there might be a band that can play a style just toe to toe with whatever the, the biggest bands in that industry are. But they're just never going to really get they're not going to get on that metal label because they're a quote unquote unblack band. You know, they're not going to get uh, the recognition they deserve. Uh, and that sucks because I think that I think in a lot of ways, Crimson Moonlight is one of those hidden gems, one of those bands that really never had a chance, <laughs> you know, uh, but they're still doing it. I mean, just because the last record came out in 2016, not last year, um, but even though it's only been a few years, I mean, this band consistently has no problem dropping a record 10 years after the last one. Um, so I think they're a band that we can we can still kind of look out for. Um, I think that they've had a really solid body of work, despite how brief it is. But at the same time, I also don't want to listen to 12 albums of a band trying to figure it out either. You know, like it's it's nice that these are just kind of already kind of in your face to the point records. And you don't really have to listen to their more awkward moments uh, besides maybe the demo album. Is that your final thought? Yeah, I would say so, because they are a hidden gem, like 100 percent a hidden gem in this in this style. Uh, they have no business being as good as they are, <laughs> really, uh, because you don't have to be. I mean, the bar is not the bar is not that the bar is pretty high to be accepted uh, into the metal metal scene in general. But the bar is not that high in Christian metal, uh, and these guys just just threw the bar away and and sky the limit. Sky's the limit as far as 
what they're actually able to do and how professional they can make it sound. There aren't a lot of bands out there that can make black metal sound good, uh, and these guys are able to do that. John, what about you? Um, I think the thing for me with this band was I kind of went into it, especially <laughs> with that that first demo full length or not full length, but that demo album. First and foremost, that's that's something I've never fucking heard of either. So that was a bit of a surprise. Um, and just to see where the band went from there. Um, like I said, when I talked about that record, you can see if you're willing to kind of give it a fair shake. You can see that there's some good playing and good songwriting in it beyond the shitty production or lack thereof. Um, and this is definitely a band that rewards its fans, I think, for their loyalty and, and patience uh, with with the discography. You're not going to be bombarded with material, but it is going to be something where I think the worth is... Got that flipped around. It's definitely something where I think the wait is well worth it uh, If you when you finally get these records. I mean, like the last record, although it didn't come out last year, thank God, um, is still a thing where I think when you finally listen to it, it'll hold you over for another four or five years. And I can't say that about a lot of bands looking at you, Tool. Um, so it's one of those things for me where I'm excited to see where this band goes. Um, I'm sure that'll be a fun Patreon when and if that ever happens. And if they don't and they don't do anything else after this, I'm totally fine with it because they left on a high note. Uh, it's not something I was expecting to like, but I was pleasantly surprised at everything getting consistently better. And uh, I think if you can take that from someone who doesn't listen to this style of music and has no nostalgia attached to this band, then there you go. You might actually enjoy a, a new band for yourself. Crimson Moonlight is proof that subgenre variations of subgenres really don't matter. It's unblack metal. It's Christian black metal. It's black metal. And if that's what you want to hear, this is just as good, if not better, than other bands that you've been listening to. But there's unfortunately a lot of people that would skip over this band because of their original intent and their original message, which, as far as I'm aware, is still ongoing today. When I listen to this, I hear solid, heavy guitars, over-the-top drums that I will never be able to duplicate and realistically don't find interesting, but... Does it sound good in the context of what they're trying to create? Yeah, sure. You can play double bass and gravity blast for an hour straight, and it sound interesting. But I also wouldn't listen to this band's discography start to finish on a single day. Granted, with this one, I could. But you're never going to pick up every Crimson Moonlight record and just listen to that. So listen to Crimson Moonlight if you never have. At least the primary releases that we've been talking about tonight... You're going to find something interesting. And if you lean towards the darker side of the metal atmosphere, you're going to hear things here that you want to hear from other bands. Damn, what's your album of the week? My album of the week. I'm going to have to go by go with Human by Death. Uh, that's that's the al Death album I enjoyed listening to the most this week. And uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about it here at some point. John, what about you? Uh, as of when we're recording this, it is Aaliyah's birthday, so I'm going to go with the self-titled. I'm going to go with that in honor of it being her birthday. Uh, if you haven't figured out, or you will learn very quickly, I'm a huge Aaliyah fan. So, uh, R.I.P. It's Baby Girl. Jam some of that uh, record. It's fucking still holds up if you're into uh, R&B and all that kind of stuff and hip-hop. It's also Sade's birthday, Joe, so if you would like to uh, use that as yours. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Been cranking the shit out of Lovers Live this week, actually, too. 
For me, it's seven dust, blood and stone, because Morgan Rose doesn't need an excuse to be awesome. Did any of you guys watch that live stream from them doing uh, Animosity? I caught the tail end of it. Didn't know it was happening until it was already happening, so hopefully I can find a restream of that at some point. Now, all the original members were part of that, right? All of the current <laughs> members, yes. Oh, okay, cool. Just happens to be the same people that were in the band originally. Interesting how that works. Take us out, DFT. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and would like to give us any type of feedback or recommendations on bands to talk about, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash discography discussion. Hit us up on Instagram at Discuss Metal. Hit us up on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Or send us an old-fashioned email at show at gmail.com. If you want to represent Discography Discussion out on the street, you can go to our Teespring store. You can order yourself a T-shirt. You can order yourself some comfy socks, a cell phone case. Uh, I'm trying to remember everything that's there. Let's see. There's a hoodie. There's men's shirts. There's women's shirts. There's... Uh, just shirts shirts uh there's all kinds of things with our logo all over it so check it out there'll be a link in the show notes that'll take you right to our teespring store there will also be a link in the show notes taking you to our discord server uh, where you can chat with us pretty much anytime as long as we're awake lots and lots of people love to congregate there and we love being able to talk to you guys directly about what's going on with the podcast or just about music in general And uh, you might also want to keep an eye on our YouTube channel, Discuss Metal Dan. Make sure to follow and subscribe to that YouTube channel to get access to live streams. Or if you're a Patreon subscriber, you're going to get all the early access episodes very, very quickly after they have been recorded, if they have not already been recorded live. So uh, make sure to check all that out. And uh, if you want to watch me game, you can always hit me up on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DiscussMetalDan. I've got uh, I've got a game called Blood that I'm working my way through right now. So uh, if you want to see me finish that, check me out on Twitch. I'm there on Mondays and on Thursdays, roughly around 1030 Central Standard Time. Show up, say hi, eat a donut, do all the good things. Appreciate you guys. And on that note, this has been episode 206 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please, send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you're not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. 